electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Brian Kelly, Guy Dami, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, we are trading the record rally. A handful of big names hitting new highs in today's session. Is it time to fade these record runs? The four names we are watching. Plus, out of luck, investors folding on the betting stocks today, so should you take a gamble on this pullback? And later, our chart of the day, Oracle rocketing higher, but option traders are forecasting some dark skies ahead for this cloud play. We will break down the action. We start off, though, with a major moment of truth for the market. Rates continuing to collapse with the 10-year yield, a 10-year Treasury note yield falling to its lowest level since February. This was um, a quick move lower, BK. What'd you make of it? Yeah, I mean, listen, we've had lower rates for a long time here, right? So to me, what the message from the market is telling you is that the Fed will likely taper. The economy is slowing. This is as good as it gets in terms of growth. And, you know, rates are telling you that we are not having a great GDP number coming up over the next, call it six months, 12 months. So let's say the Fed tapers. They are probably making a policy error by tapering at this point in time. They're going to slow the economy and they're going to have to reverse it in the last quarter of the year. Um, When this was happening, when when rates took a leg lower this morning, early this morning, pre-market on Squawk Box, Rick Santelli came up and I said, Rick, what are the key levels? He said, we don't close between 1.35, 1.37 this week, then it's going to be a quick move to one. And tomorrow is Thursday, so we only have two more exactly. sessions. Exactly, which is why I bring that up. It I seems know. like a long time away, but it's actually two First of all, BK, I am together with Brian Kelly for the first time it's in been a 15, while. 16 months. I'm while. so excited. Too long. Me too. Anyway, uh, I think, listen, I think Rick is probably right. We're going to have Chris Verone on who might paint a much different picture. I'll say this. A lot of people will point to this and say the Fed has gotten it right. I'm not one of those people. I do think maybe we test that 125 level, but I'll stick to my guns and say 2% by the end of the year. It seems far-fetched now. Inflation in all the wrong place, places, and Steve Grasso will say this, deflation in all the wrong places as well. That is a bit of a witch's brew that the Fed cannot policy their way out of. Let's get the technicals on this rate move. Let's go off the charts. Check in with Chris Verona, Strategus. Chris, what are you seeing? Well, I think Guy has it right here. I would not be surprised if we're in the vicinity or in the ballpark of what will ultimately prove to be the year's low uh, in rates. And I think ultimately as we move towards the end of the year, 175 2%, is still not uh, out of the question here. So I brought along a few slides, and what I first want to talk about is the difference between this contraction in yields today relative to the move that we saw in 19 and 20. Remember, every piece of price action on the 10-year yield that was playing out in 2019 and 2020 was playing out below a downward-sloping 200-day moving average. The trend was already down. It's the opposite today. Yes, we're all 40 basis points from the highs, but every single tick of the price has been above the upward sloping 200 days. So the trend here is important. 125 is where the 200 day is. I think that's going to prove to be a pretty good level of support moving forward. Now, if we take back, uh, if we take a step back and look at the history here, I also think it's important to remember nothing in this business is a straight line. The last two periods where bond yields went up, 
2003 to 2006, they went from about 3% to 5%. You have four or five drawdowns of yields along the way. And then if we go to the third chart here, the move in yields from 2016 to 2018, where we took them from about one and a quarter to three and a quarter, you had a nasty drawdown in yields uh, midway through, down about 60, 70 basis points. So nothing in this business is a straight line. You can get corrections. I think that's what this is. This is a correction in yields. This is a flush of all the bond shorts. If we look at the positioning over the last several days, we have started to see a very, very big change. I want to bring up the TLT. TLT is the long bond ETF, 20 years or longer. If you look at flows over the last two weeks, they're in the 95th percentile of every historical observation. So not only have we flushed the bond shorts, we've seen a lot of money move to the long side of the bond trade here. I think this is a very interesting moment to be a contrarian. Remember the trend. The trend in yields is still up. 200 days upward sloping. And we've seen this big change in sentiment. We think we're close, if not there, to the low in yields. Chris, thank you. Chris Verone of Strategus. So at this uh, critical juncture for yields, it is time to play choose your own adventure when it comes to the markets. If Chris is right and rates go higher, what happens to these key trades, financials, tech, and the broader markets? Um, we ask you, Steve Grasso, what you think. Financials will go higher. Uh, tech will go lower. Those are the two knee-jerk uh, reactions. But I, I think it's worth a caveat to say that if rates go to where Rick said to, uh, you know, 1%, all bets are off. You sell the entire market. So the broader markets go lower at a certain level, which I think what I think most people would agree with that, Karen. And is that level one percent? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's you know, it's a nice round number below that. Uh, yeah, I think that's a reasonable number. I think maybe even a little higher is sort of where people start to really get nervous. I agree with Steve. If it really starts to be very, very heavy, and certainly for breaches one percent, um, I wouldn't sell everything. I just never do that. I never do that, even though I should at various times, but I never do. On the flip side, though, if Chris is right, and that's sort of the way I think it will go, I think that financials do better. I think tech is bifurcated between the sort of fang, big tech, what I think of as the more value tech names like a Facebook and a Google. I think they do fine, and I think the supercharged, you know, really high multiple ones don't do fine. So that's sort of the way I'm positioned. Right. Um, what is the world in which you live in, BK, in terms of where you think rates go and how that impacts the other trades? And I think that we put broader markets, we, we separated financials, we separated technology because, you know, there is this thinking, since tech is you know, the biggest sector of the markets, if rates go lower, you can see maybe how the S&P 500 could go higher yeah. anyway because of tech. So I, I thought you were just going to ask me what's the world I live in, which is well beyond the scope of the show and might take more than an hour to, to explain. But let me just stick with the rates trade here. Uh, so to me, it really de- it depends, right? That's what my lawyer tells me, charges me 1000 bucks an hour. But it depends on why rates are going higher. Are rates going higher because the economy is getting better? In that world, then I want to buy cyclicals. I probably don't want to be in large cap tech. Uh, and I probably want to buy commodities. Or are rates going higher because the economy has stagnated, the Fed is stepping on the gas again, dollars down in commodities are flying a stagflationary environment, then I want to be in commodities. So I think for me, if I'm thinking about one trade that kind of 
covers both of those scenarios, I want to look at copper, like FCX or something like that. You look at what copper and gold did today in, in light of a stronger dollar. To me, that tells you there is demand there for these kind of industrial metals. And that probably at the very least is a good hedge against rising rate environments. Do you live in, in BK's world? Um, I'd like to. Thousand dollars an hour for an attorney. I mean, I don't know what yeah, he's, he's like. He's, he's a baller. Hour. I mean, to salute uh, there, Don Don Kelly. No, well, I think I'm sort of in BK's world, but I'm going to sort of go off the charts for okay. 500, okay. please, and say I don't think you can talk about rates unless you link the dollar into that. And I'm of the belief that rates can go higher and the dollar can go lower, which is somewhat counterintuitive. But I think we might be on the verge of happening. So I'm with BK on the resource trade, which has been really difficult over the last couple of weeks. I get it. But that's where you want to be because rates guess go what? lower and the dollar goes rates higher. Go, rates go oh, higher. The dollar goes dollar lower. Goes okay, got lower. it. Again, yeah. somewhat counterintuitive, right. but that's my world. And you that said, what that. world do you want well, to live in? That's well, what we want, want to know in. what world you're in because these are just some of the base assumptions. And part of BK's world is that there is um, that rates actually reflect what is going on in the economy. As opposed to being divorced from right. what is going on from the economy because of, of what the Fed has done. So, Karen, what is the world in which you live in? Well the, world, well, the world I live in is a global world. I actually thought the ECB comments today were interesting, right? They sort of echoing the Fed in terms of letting inflation run, if I interpreted it correctly. So, uh, I mean, it's not just us. Um, but the world I live in, though, is... I. I can't really just trade around the macro. I'd be terrible at that. So I have to really be down in the micro, the granular of the companies that I own and how will they do in the environments that you talk about. If the world's just, you know, growing, you know, fine, not the 7%, 6% GDP that I guess two weeks ago, that was what it was looking like this year. If it's still growing nicely, those companies are going to be just fine regardless of where rates are. I'm, d I'm not trading around rates. Steve, did we close or were we closed today because, because the 10-year yield wasn't below 1.3? Yes, I, I, I do uh, believe that's the case. But I, but I think the overlay that we have to think about, too, the, to look through the prism of the way the markets are trading right now is how many over-levered funds were short treasuries. And the reason why I say that is because once we saw it's sort of a chicken, a chicken or the egg type theory, Melissa, once we started to see rates drop, they were forced to cover treasuries, which put more weight on yields. If that's the case, maybe this is all not related to reality, to, uh, to what you and Karen just said. And maybe this is an unwind. And to get back to where BK started this whole thing, if rates start ticking up aggressively because of the Fed, that's terrible too. So we're not in the sweet spot any longer there. The sweet spot is 150 in the 10 year up to 175. If we break above two, the market gets sold off. We break down to one, the market gets sold off. So we really have to stay in a very, very tight range for this to be lucrative for the investor. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Stephen just said a, a pretty interesting thing about levered funds. At, when you start to see moves in rates like this, it generally is towards the end of the move, right? Because you have people short covering, throwing in the towel. And this morning when I woke up, I saw, you know, low rates everywhere. It was in my Twitter feed. It was uh, everywhere I was looking. And to me, that's a red flag. Oh, wait a second. You know, maybe we're approaching the, the low in this. So I do think there could be something to this. 
short covering because remember we had ahead of the Fed. We now have a short window in front of, of uh, Jackson Hole where you probably don't want to be short rates. Two thoughts, Melissa. Yes. Where would rates be if the Federal Reserve wasn't buying $120 billion of whatever they're buying right here. per month? Right here, BK says. I, I disagree. Mm-hmm. I think higher, but that's what makes markets. And uh, number two, just, just for sake of argument, Steve makes a great point about 1%, 2%. I would go as far as say below one and a quarter the market could crater and above one and three quarters. So I'll even narrow that gap. A little bit. I'm below one Grasso. and a quarter. I mean, one That's and a quarter is, is moving right. Average. That's I was what Chris say. Marone just said, and Chris did very thoughtful work on this. I'm with him, by the way. I think one and a quarter, then higher the rest of the year. To two. Mm-hmm. To two. Mm-hmm. Which means that that would be good. Um, that'd be a good trajectory for the, for the financials trade, Karen, which has really been having a rough go of it this week so far. Yeah, I mean, well, a couple of things. If there is some fear that the economy is slowing, so. That, uh, you know, puts pressure on rates, but it also puts pressure on banks' loan books, which has sort of been part of why they ran up, was the expectation that they have so much in deposits that they would be able to deploy those into loans, which are higher earning assets than just buying shorter-term treasuries or whatever paper they buy. So it's a combination of a flat curve and not enough loan growth. But I think the banks will do okay. I'm staying along the banks. They've, they've missed... They missed the move up in rates and then back down again. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see this curve steeper, but I still think the valuation is attractive. All right. Up next, J.P. Morgan making two big calls on the housing trade today. We'll break down the divergence and what it means for stocks, plus Robinhood feeling the heat as the SEC ramps up its investigation ahead of its IPO. We'll tell you why one market insider is waving a red flag on the company. Stay tuned. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're tracking two different trades in housing. Check out shares of Whirlpool jumping today. JP, JP Morgan naming the stock a top pick, saying it's one of the most hated names out there, but its earnings power is underappreciated. In the same call, JP Morgan downgraded Masco to underweight, saying the company faces a challenging environment compared to its peers, given its higher exposure to do-it-yourself as well as tougher comps. Um, Karen, you've liked Whirlpool for, for a very long time, but interesting that they separate these two trades like that. 
Y yes. Well, I don't know. I don't know why it's so hated. Everyone thinks it's ugly. I think Whirlpool's cute. I like it. I, there's a lot of things to like about it. I think what it suffers from is this idea of peak PE multiple. Remember when peak auto, peak auto, and GM just sat there? The, although the stock hasn't just sat there, it's actually come in a little, but off of, uh, but rallied a lot last year. But I think that we're in this peak washing machine kind of thing. But I don't think this is the peak in terms of. They have pricing power. That was very apparent on their last earnings call. Even with steel prices going higher, they have pricing power. Uh, one of the things in this piece talked about low promotional activity on Whirlpool versus other brands. So that's a good thing. So they maintain their margin. Also, in the last quarter, they talked about increasing their share repurchase. They had $381 million left. They were going to add on another $2 billion. So $2.4 billion is about 17% of their float. So all those things together with a high, I always come back to valuation, a high single digit PE multiple, I really like it. I think it's cute. Yeah. <laughs> Guy, you think it's cute? Of course. It's adorable. I got some of the Whirlpool products without question. And I think that what they're saying was, listen, they have no earnings growth, which is why everybody hates it. Peak earnings, Karen just mentioned that. But then you talk about valuation. I get maybe peak earnings, but you know, they're trading at basically a 10 PE right now. Even if you were just put a 12 PE on a $23.5 or so they're going to earn, you could see that this being $280 stock or thereabouts. That's where I think it's headed. By the way, as mm. you know, this was power pitched by Tim Seymour right. yes. eons ago and much lower ago. So he's been spot on. The stock has pulled back. The Masco thing, to me, is not a big deal. They actually raised their price target to 61. The Whirlpool is what you need to focus on. So, you know, what's interesting is Karen lives in the granular world, and this upgrade downgrade was very granular on comps and, you know, the, the, rate, the P.E. ratio of each of them. But if you think about the macro side of it, it is effectively the same trade, is whether or not you're going to have this continuation of DIY, whether or not the housing market is going to continue to run. And if I look at the way these traded, particularly Masco today, traded and closed near the high of the day, whenever I see a stock that has bad news and good price action, to me, that says the bad news doesn't matter. And I look at Home Depot and ITV and all of these things. They look like they want to go higher. So I think I would ignore the negative, the downgrade, and go more with the upgrade on the Whirlpool. Steve, you uh, lend your exposure to builders, right? So can you get on board these trades? I, I can. And, and I'm looking at a chart in Whirlpool. Back in uh, January, the setup was similar. It was trapped below its 100-day moving average. And when it broke out, it broke out up 25% from the low when it was trapped underneath that average to the next high. If it does the same, we get to that guy number, a little bit shy of that guy number of 280. It gets back to about 260 or so, which makes a new high and it eclipses the May high. As for the Masco side of it, uh, the exposed to do-it-yourself, uh, do 60% of the sales come from plumbing. I'm not sure, other than Guy Adami, anyone else who is doing, doing it yourself when it comes to toilet bowls and faucets, I'm really not sure who's doing that. So like BK, I would ignore that call because it's only up 6% year to date versus a Whirlpool that's up 23% year to date. I think you're okay buying both of them, but Whirlpool's chart is slightly better. BK, you're talking about how this is effectively the same trade. Is it also effectively the tra same trade as the builders? I think, it, I think in general, yeah, the macro picture is, are you going to have more people renovating their house and or buying new houses and bigger houses? So I, I think you can lump it all in. If you want to get very specific 
and just focus on the DIY, then take a look at something like a Home Depot, which traded pretty well today. Steve, it must have one of those, what do they call those things, a GoPros in my house. Because last night, you know, it's quiet in the middle of the night. And you hear that sound when the water's running, you can't figure out. Every once in a while, that little gasket inside the toilet bowl starts to erode. And it makes, right. so he's right. I'm actually, do, did a did DIY you today. Did I got to get a, get a, yeah, you got to get a you new gasket. changed the washer. Sure I did. Got in there, rolled my sleeves Kudos up before you the show. I mean, I'm just Can saying. you sweat a joint? Pardon me? Yeah. Exactly. Not quite a plumber. <laughs> we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, regulators are looking under the cape of Robinhood as it gets ready for its IPO. We'll talk with one market insider about what it all could mean for the retail brokerage's public debut. Plus, from Nike to Adobe, a slew of names are hitting all-time highs today. But should you trade or fade the moves? We'll break it down. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of AMC falling nearly 10% today, closing just above the $45 level. Shares are now down more than 20% in just the past week. The stock's still seeing huge activity among retail investors as Robinhood gets ready to go public. And check out this headline splash across the front page of the Wall Street Journal today. Robinhood's debut is clouded by SEC scrutiny for payment for order flow. The journal pointing out that payment for order flow accounted for 81 percent of Robinhood's first quarter revenues. And our next guest warns it's a serious issue that is putting retail investors at what he calls an extreme disadvantage. Dennis Kelleher is the CEO of Better Markets, a nonprofit that promotes the public interest in the financial markets. He has testified on Capitol Hill earlier this year in the wake of the GameStop frenzy. Um, Dennis, great to have you with us. What do you mean by extreme disadvantage? Why? Why? Because because the likes of a Citadel, a Virtu, they say best execution for the customer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, best execution for their profits and worst execution for uh, the price that the retail traders are paying. The problem with payment for order flow is there's a conflict of interest between the Robin Hoods of the world and their retail clients and the owners of Robinhood, which want to maximize their profits, which come for payment for order flow. So if you think about it this way, every order that a retail trader places with Robinhood or the others who accept payment for order flow, they take a cut, and that cut comes is basically added to the price of the stock bought by the retail traders. But it's even worse than that because the HFT firms like Citadel that buy the order flow are taking their cut too. So Robinhood gets a cut, Citadel gets a cut, Where's that money coming from? It's coming from the pockets of the retail traders. And that's why payment for order flow needs to stop. So you're making a distinction between best price and best execution, because what the retail investor gets is free trading, commission free trading, right? They have to. I mean, Robinhood, E-Trade, all those guys, they're not charities. Well, no, no, they don't get free trading. This is the problem. They brag about commission-free trading, but retail traders here, free trading. There's nothing free on Wall Street, and you all know that better than anyone. 
There, what used to be an upfront, clearly visible fee that they paid in a commission for a trade is now hidden, disguised, and undisclosed. And that's the cut the Robin Hoods are taking, the Citadels are taking. And the retail trader has no idea what they're paying for that stock because it's buried in the trade of the stock. And that's one of the fundamental problems. And that's actually why Robin Hood uh, had to settle with the SEC for $65 million last December. And, of course, they just settled again for $70 million with FINRA. So what they really deserve is best execution, which should be the best available price at the time, period. And what uh, the Citadels and the Robin Hoods of the world have done is they've claimed that the NBBO is the best price. But everyone on your show knows that the NBBO is an artificially widespread. There's an inside the spread that everybody else gets. Nobody pays the NBBO. So when Robinhood and Citadel say, oh, we're doing great by the retail traders by giving them price improvement based on the NBBO, it's just an artificial misleading number that's disguising how much money is being taken out of the pockets of retail traders. Dennis, I'm no apologist for the firms you're talking about by any stretch, but I'll take you back 15 years when, you know, the the brokers were buying stocks at a quarter, filling their customers at a half. I mean, I would submit maybe incorrectly, that the playing field has never been more level for the retail investor. And what you're talking about, although probably factually true, is infinitesimal when compared to what this was a decade and a half ago. But that's like saying, you know, cars 10 years ago cost twice as much, but now they're so much more efficient. And it's just that's not the right comparison. The comparison is today the law says retail traders should get best execution, period. And now what has happened is that these inside players who are making a fortune off of retail traders have defined best execution as the NBBO, knowing that that's not the best available trade at the time, the best available price at the time, and pocketing the difference and not disclosing it, and indeed bragging about the fact that they're giving all sorts of money to retail traders. It's fundamentally misleading, if not outright fraud. And it's happening day every day, and it's costing retail traders billions and billions of dollars. So, A, there should be full disclosure across the board so retail traders actually know what they're paying for the stock that they're buying. And if they can't do that, they should outright ban payment for the flow. But the easiest thing for the SEC to do, nothing's easy, I know, but the easiest thing is for them to define best execution as the best available price at the time. That will address the um, conflicts of interest and the dark side of the market it will also address maker-taker and rebates in the lit side of the market. And it should move liquidity back to the lit side of the market, which should reduce spreads, which will be good for all traders. And by the way, it'll be good for capital formation. At the, at the heart of this, um, Dennis, is this notion that, that so much volume is happening off exchange, either via wholesalers or the dark pool, and that mm-hmm. there is an accuracy in price when so much of the volume is actually happening off exchange, and the prices that we see, you know, s- scrolling across on the ticker are, are different. You know, it's it's a it's the lit market, so it's it's right. you know half the volume. Um, is that is that the root of the problem? I mean, is that part of this? Well, a big part of the problem was just unintended consequences from a law passed in over a decade ago called Reg NMS. But what we have now is about 47% of all the equity trades today are happening on the dark side of the market. And that means the lit side of the market has much wider spreads because it has much less liquidity. 
And what's even worse is that in order the lit markets, the exchanges to compete with the dark pools, the internalizes, the high frequency traders, the lit markets engage in their own conflicts of interest and disguised payments that distort order flow all over the place. And they've got maker taker and they've got rebates and things like that. And so we have both sides, the dark side and the lit side, full of these conflicts of interest, full of basically, even if it's legal predatory behavior, all of which is to the disadvantage of the buy side and retail traders. So let's clean it all up. Let's have a standard that says best execution requires the best available price at the time period. I believe that that will reduce dramatically the amount of trading on the dark side. It will cause liquidity to flow into the lit markets, which will have a standard that can be policed by the SEC. And the chairman of the SEC wants to police it. Mm-hmm. And they, that's going to cause the cost. Of, it's going to reduce the spreads, cause the cost of capital to go down. It's going to be good for everybody except for the people taking their cut, their undisclosed, disguised cut out of the pockets of the retail traders. And that's what needs to be stopped. And if we do that, it's win-win for everybody but that small group of incumbents who are getting rich off of retail traders. Dennis, um, we got to go now, but uh, thanks so much for joining us. We thanks hope for to see me. you soon. Dennis Kelleher of Better Markets. We did reach out to Robinhood for a statement. A spokesperson wrote to us, we will decline to comment due to limitations on communications related to the IPO SEC registration process. Um, I get what you're saying, Guy, and you made that point before in terms of things never being better than the retail for the retail trader. But at the same time, that's not an excuse to sort of examine these issues once again and to try and further level the playing field. Otherwise, we w- would have been halted at the progress we made five years ago or 10 years ago if at every point in time we said it's never been better for the retail that's investor. Fair. But understand, it's never been better, right? Yes, and sure. I think there are other things I understand. Listen, again, I'll say it flat out. I'm not an apologist. We can have Doug Sifu on from Virtu. We've had Bob Greifeld on yep. two weeks ago, and he explained this completely the opposite way. There are two sides to both stories. I think there are other issues to be concerned about, not least of which, and I'll say this on air again, have hedge funds been planning people in these chat rooms um, and then moving stocks up based on some of the comments that they're making? I'm certain that hedge funds have hired people to infiltrate and take part in some of these chat rooms. That would be my first place I would go instead of this, but that's me. We've seen the LinkedIn ads for Absolutely. people, the, the classifieds. So we know it's happening out there, Beeks. Yeah, I mean, this is just, this is normal trying to get an edge in, bus- in, in the business. But what I would say, I think it's really important to put a little bit of perspective about what we're talking about. We're talking fractions of a penny. So I get this question a lot. All these dark pools, you know, I'm getting ripped off and all that. It's not like you're buying a stock at $10 and it's really trading at 9 You're buying it at $10 and maybe there's a fraction of a penny in a commission that you're not seeing. So, you know, I, I, to, to say it's throw out big numbers, you're, you're losing billions of dollars. To the average investor, it's really not. And when I read the news... I see a lot of hedge funds getting killed by the Wall Street bets, folks. So if anybody needs protection, it seems like the hedge funds. Coming up, we're playing Trade It or Fade It with a number of stocks that just got into the all-time high club. We'll give you the names. Plus, gambling stocks going bust by the space is pulling a bad hand with investors today. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P 500 closing at a fresh all-time high today. Check out some of the big names also hitting records. We thought it'd be a perfect time to play a game of... Trade it or fade it! (laughs) That is right. Trade it or fade it, the all-time high edition. 
We kick it off with Estee Lauder. It is up almost 20% this year. Karen, trade it or fade it? Yes. Well, I say trade it, but it was a little tricky on my part because I'm going to would you rather it with Ulta, similar space, and I love their target deal. So trade it. Long if Ulta. I had done that, if I had done You'd that, have gotten you'd be so I know. in my I know. grill. Karen does it. Everything's beautiful. Yeah, that's basically that's right. it. That's... Steve, trade it or fade it? <laughs> So this would be a fade for me, but it's a fade with a qualifier. So uh, I, I do I do believe that longer term, this is a tradable stock, but it looks like a similar setup to me as the April-May technical setup where the stock can drop a quick 5 to 7%. So I would wait for a better entry, but nonetheless, this is a fade. All right. Chipotle, that is at more than 14% for the year. Guy. You know the answer. How many times have I said to you, burrito blowout, and you look at me quizzically, and here we are, all-time high. People say valuation too rich. I'll say 30% earnings growth. Look at what they've done on digital. Earnings are going to be a big beat, and watch analysts have to raise their number. Trade that sucker. Brian Kelly. Well, in BK's world, a burrito <laughs> blowout is not a good thing. So I am a fader of this one. What I'm worried about here is, one, labor costs are going to be going up. This may be as good as it gets when they get to when they, what they've done with digital. Uh, and as well, their input costs still could be going up. I know we've had a decline in some of the inflationary pressures, but they may just go back up. So I'm a fader. Next on the list, Adobe, up more than 21% this year. Steve. This is going to be another fade for me. It's not as big of a qualifier, but uh, the digital media segment digital media segment grows like gangbusters. It's their largest re uh, revenue segment. But when I look at the chart, since uh, September of 2020, maybe a little bit before that, the stock has sold off between 10 and 15 percent, roughly six to eight times. For me, I would wait. It's overbought. On an RSI, it's, it's registering as a 79, which means that this one has definitely overextended itself. This could come in dramatically, 15 to 20 percent. If you want to buy it longer term, please wait for a better entry. That's quite a prognostication guy. Trade it or fade it. And, and you know what, Steve makes great points. I will say trade it, Melissa. And they're coming off a ridiculous quarter where at least five or six different analysts raise their price targets. The stock has been parabolic. It's a big valuation, but they are by far best in class in what they do. I will still say trade Adobe. All right. Finally, Visa, it is now up nearly 10 percent this year. Brian Kelly. Oh, for me, it's an absolute trade it on this one. So a couple different things are going on with Visa. One, we know that uh, payments are going digital. Two, you probably saw this morning that they reported about a billion dollars worth of crypto transactions were done. I think that's just the type tip of the iceberg when it comes to those type of transactions. And if I'm looking for a growth area, that's probably one of the growth areas, even though they have multiple growth areas to come over the next couple of years. Plus, where it looks like we want to break out. So I am a trader, which means to buy it of this. Mm. Thanks for clarifying. Thank yeah, you. Sometimes just, that's you know, confusing. That's what I'm here itself. for. Um, Karen, trade it or fade it? Well, you know, it's a hard game, even though it's just a simple rhyming game, trade or fade it. It's really like buy it at the top of a multi-year bull cycle. But all that having been said, I'm with BK on this one. I'm in long MasterCard. They're almost the same thing, but not quite. You know, BK has his Bitcoin element to it. I like it for all the reasons that BK likes and because BK likes it. Aww. 
just camaraderie. Coming up, gambling stocks going bust, investors cashing out of this trade today. So should you bet on the pullback? And later, Oracle shares in the clouds today, but are there dark skies ahead? We spot in the options market that could put an end to this stock's record run. Stay with us. Fast Money's back in two. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back to Fast Money. Gambling stocks running low on luck today. Penn, DraftKings, Caesars, MGM, Las Vegas Sands all finishing the day in the red. Should you um, ante up, take a gamble on this pullback? How many more how many more puns can we put put in there? I don't know. You'll figure out. I'm sure you put it in a prompter. You'll just keep reading them 100. I like would. Joe Kernan. You'll just read anything in a prompter. No, I, I wouldn't read anything. I, 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 would, I would grimace. I like but. the grimace. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to go to the McDonald's, and the grimace was the one purple. of the purple. Yeah. The big purple one. You don't go anymore? No. Well, is there a, oh, there's a question. Should we be in the gaming stocks? Yes. Well, Penn National has been. Dan Nathan will say there's no one stock that he wants to see go lower more than Penn. I don't know why. I'll just throw that out there. But what I'll tell you is in earnings at the end of July, this actually sets up really well, sort of holding that prior all-time high we made in the fall. I think you can probably buy Penn for a trade short leash in earnings at the end of the month. Yeah. Grasso, what do you think? I think all of these should be higher, right? The world's getting back to normal. Uh, Penn has a unique situation where they have a, a side investment with a gentleman that used to come on the show. I don't know where he has been lately. Uh, but I do believe that these things are due for a bounce, and Penn is right at a support level. Uh, a couple of them are right at support levels, and I expect them all to move higher. The world is reopening. Betting is reopening. More sports are in play I think that this is a good time to be a buyer of the casino names and the online names as well. Yeah, Karen? I'm sort of in Steve's camp. I think that, uh, I don't know if they were all down on uh, just slow reop- slower reopening, maybe, because both the online ones and the in-person ones were. Um, I'm long MGM, which is both, you know, uh, uh, you know a... a Real live casinos as well as online, and that's sort of where I've been. That got hit a couple of percent today, I saw, but I don't know. I didn't think it was anything so dramatic that happened, so staying along that. There's a lot of ways to slice and dice this trade, BK. You can go online or bricks and mortar or the bricks and mortar that have an online component, mm-hmm. um, and then you can also go domestic versus international exposure. Right, right. So, you know, you can look at you can look at Macau where maybe some of the numbers there were weaker than what people expected. Uh, to me, I will shuffle the deck a bit on you. And I would say take some shit chips oh. off the table. Right? On what was the, that? <laughs> what are we taking off the table? Chips. Chips, I said. No, I got I definitely said chips. I definitely said chips. In case the FTC or FAA or whoever, not the FAA. In that. Any but regulators anyway, are listening. At any rate, here's, here's the thesis on it, is that, one, we have already seen the reopening trade happen here. So that's probably as good as it gets. What's my next catalyst for these stocks? Uh, you know, is it going to get any better? A lot of it's probably priced in. And then when you come to the kind of the online things, a lot of that is probably not a reopening trade. People are stuck at home. They had nothing to do but to bet on the sporting events. Now they maybe have other things to do. So take the chips off the table. Chips. Chips. That word sounds like a lot of things. Sounds like a lot of things, but he said chips. (laughs) Coming up in the clouds, Oracle shares surging today, but options traders are betting a storm could be brewing for the stock. We will explain, plus a Beyond Meat breakdown. 
Why investors just took a big bite out of the stock. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back. There's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Carvana. You can catch the full interview top of the hour on Mad Money. Our checkout Oracle surging to a new all-time high today. The stock among a number of cloud players jumping after the Pentagon canceled its $10 billion Jedi contract, opened up a new project, open to new bidders. One options trader, though, is betting that Oracle's record run could be coming to an end. Tony uh, Zhang joins us to break down the action. Tony. Yeah, Melissa, we had a pretty big day here for Oracle, trading at all-time highs, as you said. But options were very active today. 242,000 contracts traded, which is more than eight times the average daily volume we've seen. And one trade really stood out across what is a very bullish day for these cloud stocks. 12,200 contracts of the September 82.5 puts were purchased for $2.48 near the open. Now, this particular trade, the trader laid out about $3 million in premium to purchase puts, betting that the stock could decline by about 7% or at least 7% between now and the September expiration. However, when I look at this trade, I don't necessarily believe this is an outright bearish trade. This very well could be more of a protection trade against a trader who actually owns at least about $90 million worth of Oracle stock, trying to basically protect this um, the stock position as it hits all-time highs against uh, a decline going into the earnings event, which is on September 9th, paying about 2.8% of the stock's value to buy a little protection going into earnings. Thanks for that, Tony. Guy, you flagged Oracle earlier today. Of course, as you know, and you knew I was going to say this, what the is this, o Melissa? In this the is, hope thank you. Trade. This is the O in the Hope trade, which, by the way, has done remarkably well, mm -hmm. I, I might add. And Oracle reported earnings a couple weeks ago. The stock sold off. Everybody thought, game's over. That's it. You'll never see it again. Here we are making new all-time highs. I think Burn Street is higher in the street, $90 price target. I think they're going to ratchet it up. They've made the turn to higher margin businesses. It deserves a higher multiple. I'd say you stay with Oracle here. And I'm with Tony. Them senses they're more protection than directional in this case. Yeah, protection trade here makes sense. I mean, if you look at how Oracle has traded, it is literally straight up, almost parabolic. So you would think there might be a pullback. And this game is all about risk-reward and good trade entry. So I think if you're long it, you know, stay with it. Let, let it run. But if you want to get into this trade, you might get an opportunity on a pullback to understand that the fundamentals are still good. You want to know how well I know BK quickly? Okay, he was about well. to say have at it. Then he I realized was. he it's was It's a Danism. That's a Danism, and he stopped. Tell me I'm wrong. You're 100% right. It's because I miss Dan. Aww. I might be the only one. You are. So um, for more, and Dan is definitely not watching. For more <laughs> options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, a burger beatdown. Why shares of Beyond Meat are turning cold today? We got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Beyond Meat, a big buzzkill today. The stock falling 3.5% after getting a downgrade at CFRA Research. Analysts seeing a more balanced risk-reward for the stock. Beyond shares are, near, are down nearly 8% in just the past month here. Um, Karen, how are you feeling about Beyond? Um, it's beyond my valuation, so I haven't been in it. But uh, I, I, you know, I put my money with Oatly if I had to go there. But beyond I haven't done that either. Valuation? How many letters is that? It's more than yes. it's more than seven. Too many. Um, I asked you I this was because the, hot dogs, but I don't know. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So this is what Beyond tweeted. This is why we're going to ask for oh. a seven-letter word. Mm -hmm. 
that they're cooking up something big for tomorrow. So they tweeted this um, you know, graphic out, beyond with seven spaces underneath. So a word fits into that seven space area. Um, Guy, what, what would you Ham. Do? Beyond ham. <laughs> Does the ham have extra A's and extra M's? Because that's the only way it would fit in a seven-letter seven word. I know, I'm just kidding around. <laughs> I was going to say beyond Cheerios, but I think that's eight. As a dear friend whose name will remain nameless, I, it's chicken. It's chicken. It's, it's got to be chicken. It's got to be the chicken. Yeah. Right or wrong? <laughs> Grasso says, Grasso says, yeah. Why not riblets? That's seven letters. Riblets. Got, I mean, that is I mean a good come idea. on, it's seven <laughs> letters. I don't know. I don't want alphabet we're playing. It's it's beyond it's beyond uh, chicken. But but you know when I look at this chart, why, why have you not? Why has Tyson? And I know I'm not I'm self would you rather, but it's not. Tyson has a supply chain. Tyson has distribution channels. How is it not? Tyson has plant based <laughs> foods that are at because because it's it's factual. Because Tyson right now has everything that Beyond Meat doesn't have, and it has a valuation for Karen. And on top of that, they're getting their act together. And if food distribution channels with cyber attacks and everything else, it's mm. going to be this type of thing that wins out. Wait, with the hacks, you're saying because ha the hacks affected meat processing, if you go with plant-based, that's more, uh, more secure. But if the hackers target pea protein plants, and we're out of luck. <laughs> well, well, then we're out of luck with everything. Then I got to go in the guy's basement because he did a do-it-yourself basement where he's got all the plumbing in the world, so I don't the have to worry about water in guy's or basement, having a so. burrito or a burrito blowout. I'm covered on every aspect of it. Oh, burrito! That's seven letters. Beyond burrito. Oh, yeah. That's what I posited earlier. But I'm going anyway, to we'll find out tomorrow. Time for the final trade. In the meantime, let's go around the horn, Karen. I'm going with Real Real, which has been pummeled the last two days. I added to my sizable position already. Steve. Viacom. This thing has to close that back, uh, the, the gap back to 100, and it's going to happen starting uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. Brian Kelly. You know, first time back at the NASDAQ to paraphrase Ace Freely. Good to be back in the New York groove. And you buy FCX. <laughs> Guy. That is a great so BK. Isn't it a great yeah. scene to BK? I love it's BK. I love and his it. lawyer. And his bad word on air. McDonald's, like MCD. You weren't supposed to mention that. We haven't gotten fined or anything. Thanks for watching Fast to see you back here tomorrow at 5 Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.